God, there are confused minds. There are just people that their lives may be in turmoil. God, they may be going through a struggle in their life. Maybe they've lost someone close to them. Whatever the case may be, God, I pray for strengthening of their hearts through the peace that only comes from your gospel. God, I pray for those that don't know you, that you would open up their eyes and let them see their relationship that they do not have with you. I pray that they would recognize, God, maybe tonight for the first time ever, that they truly don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, I pray that you would draw them to you. God, you would open up their hearts. And Father, that you would change them forever through the power of your gospel. Lord, I pray now as we look at your word and we look at what you have to say to us, Lord, I pray that our hearts are open and our minds are open and free and clear of all the distractions so we can listen attentively to you. Now, this is not a message from me. This is a message from the Lord God Almighty that created this universe. Lord, this is your words. I pray that people would hear your words. And God, that no one would see me on this stage, but they would only see the cross of Jesus. God, thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your gospel. God, thank you so much for the time of worship that we've had so far. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. So tonight we're continuing our series on discipleship. And to be honest with you, um, a lot of times we talk about discipleship, we kind of talk about the cost of discipleship, which the Bible talks a lot about. And it is true, the, the cost and the price of discipleship is very high. Matter of fact, it's, it's even to the point of death, dying to yourself. But there's more to it than that. Uh, there, there's, there's a whole spectrum of, of, of things that come with being a disciple of Jesus. When we say that word disciple, a lot of people hear that word, but they don't really fully grasp what it means to be a disciple. Well, Wednesday night services here at Simple Church are called Simplify. So let me simplify what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is one who is taught and one who obeys the teaching that is taught. A student, if you will. And a student hopefully will grow up one day to be a teacher so that he can teach others what it means to be a disciple. That's the whole point of Jesus' message was to teach people what it meant to, to be in the kingdom of God. Show them the difference between people who are in the kingdom of God and the people who aren't. And so they would go and teach that, and they would, they would learn what it meant to have a relationship with God, and that they would go and tell other people. And those people would go and tell other people, and those people would go and tell other people, and this discipleship process would continue to happen. Now, some people would say that, you know, um, discipleship is something that should happen in a coffee shop with your Bibles open and a notepad out, and, you know, that's why we got the picture up here, because... I wanted to, to show, this is what most people think about when they think about discipleship. That, that everybody's got to have a cup of coffee. It's got to be cold outside. We've got to be uh, sitting down at Starbucks, and we've got to be talking to each other about some deep passage in Hebrews, and we've got to study it and all that. And I, I think that's a great way to do discipleship. Don't get me wrong. But there's more to it than that. And, and that is a daily life beside somebody, alongside somebody, showing them what it means to follow Jesus. When situations arise in your life, difficulties maybe, in, in, instead of just acting like an unbeliever, you're to act like a believer and show somebody what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, and you can teach a lot of, a lot of people through the difficulties in your life what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Do you know that? When, when trials and difficulties come into your life, how you handle those situations 
can actually make disciples of other people. Because I promise you, unbelievers, the number one thing that they're looking at for you as a believer and trying to see if you're truly a believer or not, one of the number one things they're looking at is how do you handle stressful and difficult situations? Do you crack and you crumble under the pressure? Or is your faith in God so strong that people can see evidence of Christ in your life and they say, oh, well, that looks different than the unbeliever. The way they handle this situation looks very different than the, the unbeliever and how they handle the same situation. You can make disciples even through the trials and difficulties in your life. It's about a day-to-day -day life showing people what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and live in the way Jesus would have you to live. That's really what it's about. Now, here at Simple Church, I, I love you guys. I really do. I love you to death. But one of my responsibilities as a pastor is to point out the shortcomings or, or shortfalls. Yes, I'm to encourage you through that. But what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to identify places where we fall a little bit short. Maybe we're strong in one area and weak in another. And what I have noticed in Simple Church is that there happens to be one area where we're kind of weak. One area where we're not balanced across the board. So you know that the, the three, I call them cornerstones, the three tenets of Simple Church, if you will, reach, teach, and serve, right? I think we're very good at teaching people about the Bible. I think we do a very good job of, of, of teaching people the Word of God, showing them what it means to be a Christian through the power of the Word of God. I think we do a great job of that. And we do that partially through small groups and talking about what God is doing in our lives and teaching people. I think that we do a phenomenal job in the area of service. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, people are out at the Carver Community Center serving people that are, that are low-income families or, or homeless. And, and we're giving out food and giving out stuff for, for people. I think we're phenomenal at that. You know where I think our weakest area is? It's number one, right? You think, man, of all the places where we'd be weak, you wouldn't think it'd be the first one. I believe that, that the reach part is probably where we're the weakest. And some of you sitting around here, you go, you know what? He's probably right about that. He's probably right about that. And it's not necessarily... It's, I, have to, I have to say this because there's a caveat to it a little bit. And it's not necessarily the fact that we aren't trying. Part of the reality of being a disciple is that it's very hard. And, and the more you teach people about what it really means to be a disciple, the more you teach them the truth of what God's word says about being a real Christian, the tougher it is for people to accept. And you see that, you see that a lot in here. I think that one of the reasons that we're weak in this area is because we're strong in that area. We, we don't sell people a watered-down gospel. We don't, we don't tell people some false truth. We tell them the truth of what it means to be a Christian. And some people just go, it's just too hard. It's just too difficult. I stayed for a little while. I tried it out. It seemed like it was a good thing. And God was moving in my heart. But I counted the cost. And it turns out it was just too difficult. You know that I'm right, don't you? You know that I'm right. What do we do, though? What do we do, man? It's so hard, Kenny. I've got my friends, and I brought them to Simple Church for a while, and they were coming on Wednesday nights, and, and it seemed like they were in love with Jesus. It seemed like the, that they really cared about the gospel. It seemed like they really wanted to serve other people. It seemed like they really wanted to get their other friends to come to Simple Church so they can hear the gospel, and their lives can be changed. 
but it just turned out it's too hard for him. Sitting down on Wednesday nights after the service and talking about Jesus in a small group, it just got too hard for him, and they wanted out. What am I supposed to do, Kenny? What am I supposed to do about that? Let's find out what Jesus says. Let's find out what Jesus says. I think it's the best place to go, don't you? I'm going to read you this passage, and then we're going to go back and take a little bit. Connie, I'm not sure how much we'll go through, but I'm going to start. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending out his disciples. I'm just going to read this to you to begin with. Now, the Lord chose 72. Your Bible may have an asterisk by it. says so some of the original manuscripts had 70. 70, 72, I don't think that changes the story very much. And sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he had visited. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go. Remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor any pair of sandals, or don't get... Don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, May God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If not, the, the blessing will return to you. Don't move, don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to expect, accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go into its streets and say, We wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. As I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on, a, on judgment day. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you have been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their head to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon would be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. Then he said to his disciples, anyone who accepts this message is also accepting me. Anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. Then the 72 disciples returned. They joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. You can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. I think I'm going to stop right there. Jesus is sending out his disciples. This particular time in his ministry, it's early in Jesus' ministry, and he's, he's starting to, to kind of send people out and, and get them to go into towns ahead of where Jesus will come and preach later. And he tells them just simply to preach about the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is near. What does he say? 
He said, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. There's tons and tons of people that are ready to hear that the kingdom of God is near. Now, you and I both know that there are tons and tons of people in our own town, our own friends, our own family, that really desperately want the truth. Whether or not they recognize they want the truth or not, when you start telling them truth and you start telling them the truth about God, they suck it in like a sponge, don't they? When you start pouring truth out, all of a sudden their ears kind of turn and they're like, I kind of hear what you're saying. It's not everybody, but you can see there's a large number of folks around us all that have a desire for truth. The problem is very few people are spouting out the truth. Very few people are telling the truth. Very few people are, are talking about the kingdom of God. And he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send more, more workers. That, that he'll push people towards telling other people about the kingdom of God. And what does he say? He says, now go. That's the next thing he says. Now go. You go. That's what he's saying. Pray for more workers. Now you go. What is Jesus saying to us? He's saying, don't just pray that Kenny will go out and he'll preach the gospel to people and Kenny will go out and he'll bring people into Simple Church or, or, or some of the other church leaders. They'll go out and they'll be the ones that bring people in. He says, now you go. He's talking to disciples. He's talking to people who are Christians, believers, followers of the teaching of Jesus Christ. He says, now you go. You have a responsibility. He doesn't say, wait, 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 this just applies to the ministers. This just applies to Jesus. No, Jesus is sitting there and he goes, you go. You say, well, Kenny, I, I've talked to my friends. Some of them came to Temple Church for a little while. It just turned out it was too hard for them. They didn't really embrace it and they, they left. And what am I supposed to do? I would say if you follow the word of Jesus, I would say he says, now you go. Still go. Keep going. Don't quit going. Because somebody said no, you keep going. The temptation is when we're rejected, what do we do? We crawl into a little shell. We do like the ostrich and we stick our head in the sand and go, well, they turned their back on me and I tried really hard. I did my job. Thank you, Jesus. It just didn't work out. Isn't that kind of our response a lot of times? I tried real hard and it just didn't work out with so-and-so. Do you know how many people... I have led to Jesus, prayed with them, heard them shed tears, and just seen them weep and mourn over their sin and promise to God that they are repentant before a holy God. See them come to church, embrace the gospel, see them, their lives being changed, the, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit changing them, and then they just walk out. And still to this day, they are nowhere to be found in any church anywhere. Do you know how many people that is for me? There are scores and scores and scores of those people. Those are the people who keep me awake at night, by the way. And I just wonder, what happened? And I could use that as an excuse all day long to say, you know what, God, I tried. I tried really hard. I gave it my best shot. It looked like that they were real. It looked like they were repentant. It looked like it was a change that was happening. I don't know what happened. 
But I'm giving up because it's just too hard. There's just too many people that just turn their back on you and walk away never to return again. That'd be a good idea, right? And they just say, I'm done, God. I tried real hard. And a lot of people walked away wanting nothing to do with you. And God says, now go. Now go. As a matter of fact, he, he, he talks about, I mean, it doesn't sound like he's, he's really, <laughs> it doesn't really sound like he's, he's telling him this is going to work out so good. As a matter of fact, he said, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Lambs that go into, amongst wolves don't come out unscathed. They're either wounded or dead a lot of times. And as you go, as Jesus calls you to now go, because you're a disciple, you're a Christian, most of the time, no, no, no. no I, I will say, I, I, almost all of the time, you will come out wounded or dead on the other side when God calls you to now go. Your heart will not come out unscathed when you go in the name of Jesus Christ. The, it doesn't say necessarily that, that these 70, that, that they died for their faith. The indication is that, that a lot of them probably did in this day and this time and what people believed and they were probably martyred and killed for their faith. We know that the, the apostles of Jesus, the ones that were closest to him, the 12 that were closest to Jesus, we know that they were martyred for their faith all except for John who was tortured pretty much, exiled to an island. When you go for Jesus, you will not come out unscathed. Your heart will be damaged. It will have scars as a result. And it will not be easy. There's this temptation to believe that, that you know, that, that going in the name of Jesus Christ is easy. That, that, that it, you won't come out with all these, these deep wounds from the people that weren't responsive to the gospel and the kingdom that you were telling them about and trying to get them to be a part of. It will. It will hurt you. But Jesus says this. He says, don't take anything with you. Don't take any money. Don't take your fanny pack. Don't even take an extra pair of shoes. Leave your extra Nikes at home. He says, don't even stop to greet anybody on the road. What is Jesus saying here? Rely on me alone. Rely on the kingdom of God alone. You don't need the extra stuff. All you need is the power of my words. That's all you need. You, you're wondering how you're going to do it. When you're incapable, right? Like, Kenny, I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. I don't know how to tell them about the kingdom of God. If you're in that place, then you're exactly where you need to be. It's when you think you've got it all together and you know exactly what you're doing, that's when you're in trouble. That's when you're in trouble. But when you are so dependent on the Holy Spirit of God to speak through you, and you say, God, I don't have anything to offer, but you have everything to offer. So, God, you speak to these people. I don't want to speak to them. God, if I speak to them, it's going to mess things up. God, you speak to them. Then you're in the right place. When you say, I got nothing I'm bringing to the table, God, you have everything, including the table. God, you do the work in their lives. I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach these disciples here. Don't take anything. You got nothing to offer. You depend solely on what is going on here with the kingdom of God. 
It says you can go into people's houses, and, and some of them are going to accept you, and some of them are not. If they accept you, stay with them. Eat with them. Take whatever they offer you to eat. Whatever they put before you, go ahead and eat it. Don't be picky. Sit there and have fellowship with these people. I, I think it's important for you to recognize that if you are, if you are going to really tell people about the kingdom of God, you've got to develop a relationship with them. I think that, and you can do that. Trust me, you can do that in a short period of time. There have been people I've shared the gospel with. I sat there for 10 or 15 minutes and helped them to recognize that, number one, I care about them. There's no way that you can convince somebody that they should come to the kingdom of God and that, that, that you care about their soul if you don't know who they are. I think that that's one of the mistakes people make in evangelism. They walk up to somebody, hand them a gospel track or something, and, and like, man, I don't even know you. You know, you know how I, I start off my gospel presentation? This is crazy, right? Like, how do I share the kingdom of God with somebody that's really never heard it before? You want to know my starting conversation? It goes like this. How you doing? I'm Kenny. Yeah. Hey. How you doing? It's nice to meet you. My name's Kenny. You know how you need to start off your conversation about the gospel of Jesus? You need to introduce yourself. Talk about who you are. Find out who they are. Some people are going to welcome you in. Some people are going to accept your greeting. And some people are not. Some people are not. It's just it's, it's the nature of the business, if you will. It's the way things go, man. Some people are going to accept you. Some people are going to turn their back on you. Some people are going to be immediately. Some people are going to be two years down the road when they turn their back on you. But this is what Jesus says. He says, when they don't accept you, what are you to do? What am I supposed to do, Jesus, when, when I go in there and, and I'm trying real hard and I'm trying to develop a relationship and I'm trying real hard to explain the kingdom of God to somebody and they reject me? What am I supposed to do? Jesus says, dust the sandals off your feet. And dust the dust off the, the sandals on your feet. Move on to the next town. Go and share the good news somewhere else. Go and move on. Don't take it with you. That's why they got to brush the dust off their, their sandals. You're like, what does that mean? What, what, what does that mean to, to dust the, the dust off your sandals? Why, why, what does that mean? I think what Jesus is trying to tell them here is that when somebody doesn't accept you, when somebody doesn't embrace what you're trying to tell them, you're supposed to move on, but don't let that, that uh, situation that you just came out of distract you from what you got to do now. Let it go. Put it behind you. Say, that was that town, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the town to come. That's the biggest struggle for me. That is probably one of the biggest things I struggle with. Like I say, that keeps me awake at night thinking about all the people who have turned their back on Jesus. After I saw them weep and cry on a beach somewhere and the, the sand was just covered up with their tears, man. It's hard for me to just say, I don't know what happened with that person. And if I ever encounter them again, I try my best to reach them again. But I don't let that keep me from going on to the next person saying, maybe there's hope to be found here by sharing the gospel with this other person. I'm not going to carry it with me and say, well, I'm going to give up on you because I gave up on the last person. 
The last person gave up on me, so I'm going to give up on you. That doesn't work that way. you got to say, enough is enough. I'm going on, and it's worth continuing the path that Jesus has put out there before me. Sheep, lambs among wolves. It doesn't sound like very glamorous work, does it? It doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like it's good news for those sharing the gospel. Does it sound like, man, it's going to work out good and... The reality is it's a lot worse for those that don't accept, for those that reject the truth. And we, we really need to look at those, those, those people that turn their back on, on the truth of the word of God with compassion and, and with pity because he says there's destruction coming their way. Old Testament towns that were destroyed by fire, man, it, it, it's nothing compared to the destruction that's going to come into their lives. Nothing compared to the devastation that's going to come from turning your back on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to recognize how devastating it is when somebody turns their back on God. And we don't need to shy away from that when we tell people the truth about the kingdom of God. When we tell people about, you know, having a relationship with Jesus and how good and how wonderful it is, we don't necessarily need to neglect the fact that there is destruction coming, impending doom coming for them who don't accept the good news of the gospel. We don't need to shy away from that. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, tell them that destruction is coming. Because they have not embraced the truth, they've rejected the truth, so destruction, devastation is coming to their town as a result of it. Jesus, when he, when he talked, when he shared the good news of the kingdom, he didn't neglect talking about hell. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. We don't need to neglect that portion of the conversation We need to recognize that there's truth in the devastation that comes from not knowing Jesus Christ and not embracing the kingdom of God. Boy, it's it's getting worse and worse, isn't it? More and more difficult, more and more trying, knowing people are going to reject us, we're going to come away with scars, we've got to talk to them about the devastation that will come into their life if they don't embrace the truth. And you get rejected many times. It says anyone who accepts the message is also accepting me. Anyone who rejects uh, is rejecting me. Anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. That, that rejection feeling that we feel, a lot of times we, we take it personally, right? I know I do. I know I do. Dusting the, the dust off your sandals and moving on is so hard for me because I take it personally. I really do. I take it personally when somebody rejects the kingdom of God. But Jesus says, you've got to understand, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And in that, they're rejecting God. That's the only way that you're going to be able to dust the dust off your sandals and move on, is if you understand that it has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with God. You can no more take the credit for somebody coming into the kingdom of God than you can take the rejection for somebody rejecting the kingdom of God. Right? Can you sit there and say, oh, this person came to salvation in Jesus Christ because of what I did. This person came to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of something I did. No, you can't do that. Because God deserves all the credit and all the glory for somebody coming to faith in, in Jesus Christ. Well, if you can't do that, then you certainly can't take the brunt of the rejection for somebody rejecting the kingdom of God either, right? 
Because it's all about Jesus. It's not about you. Both sides of the coin. It's all about Jesus. That's why I say you have to empty yourself when you share the gospel. And you say, Holy Spirit, speak through me. God, you speak so I don't speak. Because God, I want you to get all the credit. I want you to get all the recognition. And when it comes time, if that person accepts Jesus Christ, if if they embrace the truth... God, that way I say, well, God did that. I didn't do it. God did that. I didn't do it. Seventy-two disciples returned and joyfully reported to him. Discipleship is not all bad. It's not. It's not all difficult. There are difficult parts about it. But anybody in this room who's ever shared the gospel with somebody, who's ever shared the good news of the kingdom of God, and they come to faith in Jesus Christ, and their soul is saved for all of eternity, when you do that, you recognize the joy that comes along with that. And saying that I was an instrument of God that God used for his glory, and my my light so shined before men that it glorified my Father who is in heaven, and people came to the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ through me as an instrument of God, it overwhelms you with joy to see a person come to faith in Jesus Christ. For somebody that really embraces the truth and hangs on to it and really says, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. They re- joyfully reported back to him. Listen to what they said. He said, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Now notice it's when we use your name. When it's in your name, the demons obey us. God had given them special power in that particular time and in that particular place that demons would even listen to what these disciples were saying. The demons would even respond and flee whenever they share the gospel. Maybe that was the result of somebody sharing the gospel and demons were actually able, they they, they fled because of the truth of God's word. When we use your name, even the demons obey There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Life-changing, eternity-changing power in the name of Almighty God, Jesus Christ. Even the demons obeyed and responded to that name. Now, it doesn't necessarily say that that was their purpose. Jesus had sent them out to heal the sick and to tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. But I think what probably happened here is that demons were in the presence of what was going on. And a lot of them fled as a result. You know what Jesus says? Right. Connie, you got verse 18 up there? Look what it says, verse 18. Yes. They're full of joy because the demons have responded in the name of Jesus Christ to what they were doing. Jesus said, yes, 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 I know. I I hear what you're saying. And I believe Jesus is overjoyed here. And you even go on to read the passage, you can see that, that Jesus prays joyfully. It says he's filled with joy in verse 21. And it says, yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. You can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. 
This is what he says. He says, yes, the demons have responded to you as a result of the name of Jesus. He says, they, they, they trembled and they fleed as a result of the good news of the kingdom. He says, I saw Satan fall. Some people are like, well, maybe Jesus is talking about the original fall. The, the, the original fall back uh, when, when Satan originally fell from heaven. When he was an angel and, and became Satan, became Lucifer. I don't think there's any indication of that here. What the indication is, is that, 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 that Satan, as, he, as he's in, in doing things in this earth, and as he, he's trying to influence people away from the gospel and away from the truth, that, that what, what, what Jesus was actually witnessing while these guys were going out, Jesus was actually watching Satan fall. He's watching his kingdom crumble as the power of the gospel was changing people's lives. The Satan was being defeated bit by bit as more and more people come to the saving knowledge of the kingdom of God. Jesus was actually watching Satan fall. And he says, look, I've given you all the authority over all the power of the enemy. He's saying, I've given you that same power. I've given you that same power. He says, you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. People are like, Oh, are we about to start snake handling? He's going to get out some snakes and start walking around? No. No. He's not talking about literal snakes. Just like he's not talking about Satan being a bolt of lightning. It's a metaphor here. He's trying to say that you can walk amongst demons and you can walk amongst Satan. And I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be the one that, that, that has your back. I'm going to be the one that, that guards you. And you say, well, man, is there ever going to be a time where I'm going to come under the attack of Satan? Yes, but only if God allows it. Only if God allows him. You remember the story of Job where, where, where Job had all this calamity come in. He lost his kids and he, he lost all of his property and all of his livestock and all that stuff. How did that happen? It happened because God allowed it to. You see, God is in control. God, God has every single thing in his control, and if he allows Satan to do it, it's for the purpose of drawing you closer to God, not further away from him. Why? Why? You know why I think? You know why I think that happens? So we'll become more determined to keep going and going out. So, so that we'll, we'll build up some, some stamina, if you will, as we keep getting broken down from time after time, I believe it, it builds us back up as God. I mean, it's, it's, it's like what you do in exercising, right? You tear down the muscles, you can build them up again. I believe that a lot of times that's what happens is a strengthening of our faith. It says, Satan is not in control, but God is in control, and I know that. And I can stand here and say that to you because my daughter died, and I know that Jesus is in control. I, I am more more solid in my foundation, my faith in Jesus Christ, now more than ever. Even in spite of the fact that my daughter had cancer and we went through chemo and radiation for 15 months and she still died. And I prayed insistently that, that God would heal her on this earth. And I didn't say, well, it didn't happen, so I'm giving up on God. No, what I said is it happened, but God is still in control. And I'm going to tell everybody about his goodness and his grace and his mercy. Yeah, I got torn down. I got torn down, but it strengthened my faith. It didn't weaken it. 
Are there scars? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Are there days when I don't even want to get up in the morning? Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? You know what I know is the most important thing in my life? The most important thing is for me to get up and go. Really, my job doesn't matter. The only reason my job matters is because there might be somebody there that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. My most important thing in my life is to make disciples. That is the most important thing in my life. And there are going to be times when people don't like me. They don't like what I have to say. When I tell them truth, they're going to say, this is ridiculous. I don't want to hear it. I don't care. What I care about is making disciples and telling people what Jesus taught. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid what happens to this body. I'm really not. I, I could die standing up here. That's okay. I used to be afraid. I really did. I, I used to be afraid of dying. I, I really did. I, I, I don't really know why, but I don't think I had the right perspective on Jesus. But now I recognize that it's not I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And I don't, I don't really fear death anymore. I mean, I, I feel bad for my family if I died. I feel bad for my friends if I died. I'd be like, man, that's really bad on you. But for me, I don't feel bad. I'm like, that's God's sovereign choice. He says, you've had enough, man. He's tried real hard, and he's had enough. Or, or maybe it's better. Maybe more people come to Christ as a result of Kenny's death. That's okay. That's okay with me. It really is. Because you know what matters most? Jesus. His kingdom. And I'm willing to die if that means that somebody else will come into his kingdom. Absolutely. I think, I think that's what God, God asks us to do. When he says, take up your cross and follow me, I really believe that he's saying, you've got to be willing to die. We're going to talk more about that on Sunday. We, we talk about giving. We're going to talk about real giving again on Sunday. This is what he says. He says, you think it's cool, the fact that demons respond to you. And you rejoice in the fact that you've seen something here on earth. You rejoice that you've seen something with your own eyes. He said, you know what you really need to rejoice in? The fact that your names are written in heaven. They are registered in heaven. Eternal. Not just temporal here on this earth, what you see with your eyes. He said, I'm talking about an eternal kingdom that's got your place already marked for it. That's real rejoicing. He says, you, you, you think you got joy right now. What you really need to see is you've got joy that is, that is waiting for you in an eternal kingdom with me and with my Father. That's real joy. And if you've got that kind of joy, you won't care what happens to you here on this earth. That's the place you're supposed to be if you're a disciple. There are going to be some bad times. There are going to be some good times. But there is eternal joy knowing that your name is registered in heaven. That's what being a disciple is about. That's what, mean, that's what it means to be a real, true follower of Jesus. What it means to be a Christian. A Christian. To be Christ-like. Let me pray. Father, thank you, God, for this word. Lord, I know there are people that needed to hear that. Because you are sovereign. And Father, you know exactly what our hearts need to hear. So God, I rejoice in the fact that, God, your kingdom, your kingdom is near. Father, I know that it is. And... In the next 80 years, every person in this room will see the kingdom of God. They'll either see it 
face to face or they'll see it disappear from them. God, I pray. Lord, I pray that everybody stops looking to, to the, the temporal, what they can see with their own eyes. God, they would look to the eternal and they would look to having their names registered in heaven. If there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus, they don't have a relationship with you, God, they don't know this kingdom that we're talking about, I pray that they would come to repentance, God, and, and they would put their faith and trust in you completely. They'd bring nothing with them. They would just say, here I am, Lord, in my emptiness and my brokenness and my wretched state that I'm in, God, here I am, but I belong to you. And it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I, I give everything to you. And I want Jesus Christ to rule and reign in my life. If there's somebody here that needs to do that, I pray that they would. God, I pray that they would simply obey. God, and if there's somebody here that's hurting, Lord, I pray that they would just come and give that to you. Lord, they would recognize that, that as long as they're their, their, their names are registered in heaven like these disciples, that these Christians, their names are, are registered in heaven, that, that God, what matters not is what happens here, but what matters most is that they've got a place called home one day, an eternal home. God, where there is no more crying or tears. God, that they've got a place where, where they'll be only rejoicing and they'll only be singing your praises. God, help us to look to that place and not look to our suffering and our hurting right now. God, the suffering and hurting that happens right now, I pray that we would look at that as a reason to preach about the, the kingdom that is to come and the place that is eternal. God, I pray that every single person in here would take personal responsibility for reaching someone, reaching someone as you've called us to do, as you say, now go in your word. I pray that we would all now go. Father, thank you so much for teaching us what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be a Christian. Father, we love you. This time belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone please stand?